Welcome to the Learning Hook podcast. Join our team as they explore topics across learning and development, e-learning, media production, and all those creative learning spaces in between. For us, it's the just in time, just enough, and just for you. So let's learn, connect, perform, and do something great. So speaking of doing something great, let me share a little overview of the latest Learning Hook podcast you're about to listen to. I had the privilege of hooking up with Graham Cowan, who I think is probably well described by the Australian Financial Review as a workplace mental wellbeing expert. It's kind of a modest description. Graham helps leaders and teams to be more caring, resilient and growth orientated. He's also the author of four books, including the internationally acclaimed Back From The Brink, of which notably has just become a bestseller in China, which I think he's a little surprised about. I'm not. And it includes a testimonial from Tony Blair. And that's a story worth chasing up with Graham. Not bad for a bloke who describes his own writing prowess as based on religiously reading every edition of Rugby League Week when he was in year 12. Lastly, Graham was a part of the original team who started Are You OK Day. He's been a part of that hugely successful campaign since it began. The insights of which, for any of us wanting to make an impact through learning campaigns, are found throughout our chat. So look, accolades aside, Graham has such an amazing story to share in terms of his earlier career, working in senior leadership roles with the likes of Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer and A.T. Kearney, through to his own very significant battles with depression. It's this story which he so generously shared in this podcast, but shares so much of the time, and the links to many great insights about how learning and development, training and learning campaigns can all play a part in creating cultures that care. And as a result, shine. I love this topic. I'm actively working with Graham too. We're working on how we can create at scale practical programs that support and foster caring cultures that work. We call this factor C, the care equation. It's about caring, leading and growing. I do believe that every one of us can make a difference in each other's lives by checking in if we're worried about someone, sharing some practical steps to help and then following up. It's that simple. Look, for anyone interested in creating more mentally healthy workplaces through training and other campaigns, I think you'll really enjoy this chat. Check out our blog for links to contact Graham. Look him up on LinkedIn, and I definitely recommend subscribing to his newsletters. Enjoy. Welcome, Graham. It's great to chat with you today. It's something I've been looking forward to. I know we we speak frequently, but not on a podcast. And really, the um, you know the subject around creating mentally healthy workplaces is something that well, I know you, you and I are both passionate about this. But for you, I sort of describe it. I guess what I see is your life's work and something you do an amazing job at. So I want to explore that today with you. And I, I thought a great place to start would be um, to share with us a bit of your history and background. And I, I guess those things that really led to, to what has become such an important part of what you do. Yeah, thanks, Brandon. And it is pretty much, I, I guess, my own journey. I had a, a pretty conventional career in that I originally studied marketing worked with places like Johnson & Johnson and Pfizer and even and then moved into recruitment and human resources and career change. But in, in 2000, I was the uh, vice president for AT Carney Management Consulting Firm. And we specialised in e-commerce and, and executive search or headhunting as it relates to the e-commerce area, which was in a very, very early time. 
And then in 2000, we had the tech crash. And in essence, our business suddenly just really collapsed very, very quickly. And um, I'd had episodes of depression before, but this led to, I guess, something just uh, much more profound and deep and longer than I ever would have thought. Um, you know, in a very, very short period of time, I I lost my job, my marriage broke down, and I had to go and live with my parents because uh, I really wasn't able to look after myself. And I was out of work for, for over five years, and mm. it was really the support of my parents was really fundamental to getting through that. And it wasn't a, a quick turnaround, it was, but it was um, – I had good medical care, but it was actually – decided to do some just really practical things like deciding to walk really regularly. And I began to walk sort of like 30 or 40 minutes a day, every day, um, you know, along the beach or in the, in the local bush. And then I, I reached out to people I'd become estranged from because when you're in, you know, that really depressed state, you don't really feel like mixing with people and you really isolate. But I did reach out and I did catch up with old friends and that did gradually help me a little bit. And then I embraced um, meditation and I tried meditation when I was really unwell and wasn't able to do it. But because my mood had lifted a bit, I found that I was able to do it and that, that really became a real linchpin to my recovery. I, you know, I, I now do it every day. It's a, it's a foundational part of my well-being. And I guess the final element was really deciding to write my first book. And I wrote the book because I, I yearned for stories of people who'd been through what I'd been through, but come out the other side. You know, it was important. You know, you, you, you read case studies, you read uh, statistics and this sort of thing, but I just really yearned for hope. And so I interviewed uh, 12 people all up and there were some high-profile people like the former West Australian Premier Jeff Gallup the Olympic swimming gold medalist, um, John Conrad's Patria Thomas, and that marvellous icon from the, the art world, Margaret Ollie. And, uh, and that led to me launching my first book, and it was launched by John Brogdon, the former opposition leader in New South Wales, and we launched it at the Black Dog Institute. And I think because we had some well-known people in there, it was a, a really big success. And over a period of probably three or four weeks, I did about 200 media interviews, you know, in radio and print. And what I discovered there was that it was actually the people who were struggling or who were supporting those who were struggling that reached out. It wasn't those that were actually struggling themselves. And that turned out to be a really important uh, lesson for me because I didn't realise the impact my illness had on those around me. You know, you're just so self-absorbed that you don't. And, um, and so when, in 2009, I was approached by Gavin Larkin, who'd heard about my book and my story, and Gavin had this idea to, you know, start this thing called Are You OK? And it was just a concept. It was just an idea. But because of my experience with my parents and just knowing how essential their support was to my recovery, I just immediately thought that it was, um, you know, was spot on in terms of what it was trying to achieve. And um, the interesting thing is, is that, you know, the tagline, I think, was just brilliant, that a conversation could change a life. And why that was brilliant was that it's, it was really, really inclusive. And I think that was a key element of getting 
uh, everyone involved. We also, we had no money, we had no employees, so we had to work really, really cleverly. And so a lot of our, all our resources were digital. You know, we, we relied heavily on social media to spread the message. And, uh, you know, that's now 10 years ago and it's, you know, grown. We now have 83% of Australians that are aware of the Are You OK? We have, you know, 31% say they asked someone they were concerned about Are You OK? So we've seen wonderful growth there and it sort of has dovetailed really well with the work that I do in corporate Australia because I work with leaders and teams on how they can be more caring, mentally healthy and growth-oriented. And so there's been really great synergy there, which has been fantastic. Thanks so much for um, sharing that, Graham. I've heard that story before, but every time, or some elements of it, I should say every time, though, I do get other insights. Um, I'd like to share as well that, uh, you know, Graham and I are working on our own project and, and started a company called Factor C, uh, the care equation, which has three key principles and I guess our belief that, um, you know, through caring leadership, we all can grow. And thinking through your story then, Graham, those insights around, you know, the people that actually followed up with you, and I know that people continue to follow up with you after events that you speak at, that often it's people trying to help others. And it's that caring leadership piece that's so important, I think. Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, it has been very interesting, our journey, Brendan, over the last you know, 15 months or so, and just reflecting how important having those caring and supportive environments are. Um, it's interesting, if you ask people, you know, what's been one of their best teams or a great, really great team they've been in, you know, they always talk about things like we had each other's back, you know, we enjoyed ourselves, we had a common mission, we had meaningful work. But at the real core of it is... Great teams have to care about each other, and if they don't, things break down. It, it always feels when we talk about this type of subject, I, I, it feels to me in some ways so such a simple thing to understand, and so much evidence backs this up that high-performing teams do care about one another and are psychologically safe. There's so much growing body of evidence. It feels simple, but it's not always simple. And people get lost in the whirlwind of work, certainly. And different organisations are at different maturity levels. So I guess um, a part of what I wanted to talk about today, Graham, is those two sort of key things around your experience. So I'm really interested in, in some elements you might be able to share with us from your work with Are You OK? Because you've been a part of that journey from the start and still continue there. And, and also, I guess, your experience in working in corporate Australia. Because for me particularly, I, I'm really interested in learning and development. And I know we do a lot of work in, in mental health sort of awareness type of training. But I guess anyway, I wanted to explore maybe other campaigns that you've seen actually work uh, where it's take on board training elements, but perhaps there's other parts to it. So thinking through, are you okay? What would you say? I, I guess you mentioned there's that great tagline um, and belief that a conversation can change a life. What are the other elements that success there that we've seen? Because I think most people recognise Are You OK is such a, a great success. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I think it's very easy to underplay that tagline because mm. Gavin Larkin, you know, who was the original founder, he came from, interesting, he came from an advertising background, not a mental health background, and he had the tragedy of losing his father to suicide 
And he could have had, mm. you know, National Suicide Prevention Day and it would have gone nowhere, quite frankly, because it's too threatening, too confronting, and it's quite isolated in terms of whether people feel it relates to them or doesn't relate to them. But, you know, we all go through tough times and Gavin's thing was is that, you know, what we're really about is providing or encouraging connection, you know, with those that we're concerned about, with their loved ones or workmates or, or whatever. And, uh, and that element was really, really critical. You know, we had great success right from the start and we got an amazing range of ambassadors, people like Hugh Jackman. You know, you can imagine, you know, what you'd have to pay to get Hugh Jackman involved in, in normal circumstances, but he donated his time because he could see think, the relevance of it as, as with other celebrities both in Australia and overseas. And so... I think that one of the really important fundamentals is having that inclusive message. No matter what you're trying to do, you know, try to, you know, think how can you make it inclusive? How can you make it relevant to the most people? It's not trying to be all things to all people, but just sometimes just a tweak of language that can make that big difference. You know, it could have been about reaching out for mental health support, but it's not that. It's about reaching out to someone who could be struggling and there's all sorts of reasons that people could be struggling. It, it, you know, they could be coming to terms with their sexuality. They could have just gone through bankruptcy. They could be just going through divorce, could have a sick parent. And it's not so much the cause, it's just the impact that it has on them and their well-being. And just being confident that you can make a difference. So that was, um, you know, really important. And, and we really actively try to reinforce that with our social media um, campaigns and and we've always been very very targeted um so we've had calls you know for us to do stuff on depression or anxiety and, and we've just always said no you know we can provide the gateway to that if you want information on you know depression or bipolar or or um uh, uh anxiety you know you can go to beyond blue or the black dog or, or lifeline or or saying that you know that exists our primary motivation is to help facilitate the conversation, and uh, and so that's been our focus. Yeah, talk about focus. I think it's it has been really well done, Graham. And I, I see these links in everything you're talking about from a, a good, um, great training program too. That it is about being very focused. Um, I mean, are you okay of taking that to another level? Like, it is about one thing, and I, I guess staying focused throughout the years on that has been powerful. Helps everybody focus. I love what you said about we could have done suicide prevention day but we you know are you okay something that just makes so much more i don't know it feels like it's action orientated like good learning is but there's an action from it that people can take and and it's a very very clear one inclusive message yeah yeah and and you're, you're right and it is action oriented and i remember you know in some of the earlier things we tried to have things like you know in the time it takes to have a coffee you can have a conversation that could change someone's life and so mm. try to help people think about when and where they would actually have those conversations because it's easy to put it off it's easy to procrastinate and so actually to help them to really think about it now we've had some learnings along the way as well you know uh, you know it was originally started as are you okay day but if you go to the website now it is just are you okay because it's not just one day it's it really is about are you okay 365 and that that we will always have a day we will always have a point of focus 
But I think it's also really important that people realise that this is a 365-day proposition and we're increasingly having things and events and promotions that help promote that. And we have also, you know, created, for example, a whole lot of specific niche um, resources. You know, we have resources for primary schools, high schools. Mm. We have resources for the rail industry, the hospitality industry, the legal fraternity, the Motor Trades Association. This is where, you know, various sponsors have said, you know, what can we do for our area? So that has really, I think, helped to continue the momentum, um, increase the the, the reach and the impact of it by, you know, keeping bringing out stuff which is um, which is relevant. Again, it really does align to a lot of great, um, I guess, any well, change programs and, and from a learning and development point of view is I, I think learning campaigns over time, it's about are you okay every day? And like a learning campaign, there's lots of different assets that are suitable to help in, in all lots of different occasions and for different groups, I guess. Yeah, I didn't know, you know, are you okay? Yeah, it had changed from are you okay day now. I, I found just, a, I guess, reflecting, Graham, and I, I think this it kind of relates to when you and I met a bit in that we get at, at my business, The Learning Hook, we get calls once a year, particularly over the last three years I've seen this. So this is, I think it's a maturing in the marketplace of recognition, particularly from health and safety within large organisations, that they're now recognising that um, supporting a mentally healthy workforce is, is a part of their remit in safety. We often get calls around Are You OK Day. Day. You know, we often talk about learning campaigns in the work that I do and how important they are, but it should not underestimate the power of an event either. You know, a learning event can be the catalyst, which is what Are You OK did, really. Are You OK Day has been a catalyst for a lot of people to recognise this problem. And that catalyst then turns into a campaign kind of over time. I guess I, I was a bit disappointed me that only once a year we got these calls where our clients were saying, hey, maybe we should do a, a mental health awareness module. Can we release it before Are You OK Day? But at the same time, I, was, I, I liked that that was a growing awareness in our market. Certainly inspired us and I know you and I to get together and start Factor C and trying to create, you know, I guess a wider range of products to support people. You know, just from a learning perspective, you know, when we started, we found out that the reason people are often reluctant to ask, are you okay, is they didn't know how to start the conversation. Mm. The second big thing was they were really worried. Someone might say, no, I'm not okay, mm. and then know, not know what to do with it. And so I think that's another element which is also pretty important to consider is, you know, thinking about what could stop people from doing it, what could make it difficult, and what can you do to help circumvent that? And we always had a full step to the conversation. You know, the first part is to ask the question, are you okay? Second part is to listen without judgment and ask lots of open-ended questions. Third part is to encourage action, encourage them to see a doctor or call the employee assistance program. Full stop is then to check in, to follow up to see how they've done it. We also, you know, we're aware that even though we've been plugging away at that for a while, that still people didn't have good knowledge of those of those four steps. And so for the last three lead-ups to the actual Are You OK Day, we've had this convoy around Australia where we've had three, uh, sorry, four uh, four-wheel drives, you know, Audi four-wheel drives uh, donated by 
the Audi Foundation, and each one of those four-wheel drives represents the step of a conversation. And so then at every event, these beautiful cars are being lined up. One, <laughs> ask, two, listen, three, encourage help, four, um, check in. And, and so, you know, I think it's never over and you have to keep on reminding people and keep on revisiting it in different ways. That also is, is part of helping to try and educate the country. Yeah, it's an amazing initiative and um, those four steps are, are something that everybody can take on board but it's almost like um, training that we do within large organisations as refresher training is just as important. That ongoing sort of building of confidence for people to have these conversations and I know that feeling I, I guess at a personal level too of the kind of you know the roulette wheel a little bit of feeling that if you're not prepared when you do ask are you okay you know how prepared are you to help those four steps is something that we can all do very easily in some ways, yeah. you know, as long as we're prepared. Definitely. And Graham, I guess working within the, um, you know, the work that you do, particularly, I think, with, uh, you know, in leadership and building that sort of awareness and um, support mechanisms, can you share with us what you've seen work really well, particularly if it's got sort of a, from a learning or, or training point of view within an organisation where you've seen, um, I guess, change or transformation where an organisation's doing it very well, where they're supporting each other and creating those caring cultures? Yeah, I think um, one, of the, one of the things that I've always felt, and I've been involved in human resources for a while and then in mental health, and I, I always consider myself bilingual. I speak the language of business and mental health. Yeah. And, and I think in many cases mental health has been sort of talked about in isolation and talked about as almost like a plug-in. You know, we've got to do everything else, plus we've got to do mental health. And I think one of the things that, that I've suspected for a long time, and increasingly there's lots and lots of evidence to support this, is that the right leadership delivers performance and well-being. I first had a real insight into this when I, um, back in my consulting days, when I led a culture change division and one of the first assignments I got was to help Ramsey Healthcare. And they had this very um, charismatic leader, Paul Ramsey, who was their founder. They built the organisation up to a pretty decent size. It had about 13 hospitals and I think about six or 7,000 employees. And, and I was called in to, they'd always referred to this, the way they operated is the Ramsey way, but they never actually articulated it. And so I went to their annual conference. It was in Nuluru, um, probably about 16 years ago. And the idea was, was to start to formulate the words which made up the Ramsey Way. So at the conference were the CEOs of each hospital, directors of nursing of each hospital, and the, and the chief financial officer. And so we came up with the first draft. And then I took it around to about 20 focus groups at their hospitals around Australia. What came out of that was, you know, the actual words of, of the Ramsey Way and it talks about, you know, how we work well together, that, the, you know, we always strive for better outcomes. But the tagline was, and their business, their mission was people caring for people. You know, you think, oh, that's a very, you know, simple concept, great for charities, but, but Ramsey are very much, a, they're a publicly listed company. If you go back and have a look at their financial records, over the last 15 years, They've probably been one of Australia's most successful um, companies from a financial perspective. 
you know, for example, the Australian stock market has had a total return to investors of about 450% over that sort of 16 years. Over that same period, Rams has had a return of over 6,000%. Wow. They're a graphic example to me of a group that realises that caring is care to their core to their business and and they embed it at every process, you know, when they're recruiting, when they're training, when they're doing their performance reviews, all that sort of thing. And so that was a wonderful local example. Um, mm. There's the example of, of Google as well. And, um, you know, Google went on this quest in 2014 to understand what made up of their best teams. And they looked at all sorts of parameters, looked at 180, sorry, they looked at 180 teams around the world. And for each team, they looked at 250 different parameters. And they thought at first it was going to be who made up the team, you know, whether it was high potential people or good mix of diversity. But they could get no correlation. And then they had this insight that maybe it wasn't the individual members, but how they interacted. They got a long story short, they identified that the number one predictor of their best teams was psychological safety. And what that means is that, you know, people do look out for each other. It, what it means is that people are allowed to be vulnerable and admit they don't know the answers to everything. They're allowed to take moderate risks and know that if things don't work out, they won't be sacrificed. And so it's just become embedded in, in a group like Google and Pixar movies. Mm. They, drive for this psychological safety. And so I think increasingly in, you know, this real digital revolution that having, you know, these um, caring and supportive environments help people to learn quickly, support each other and adapt quickly to change. Um, And I think that's many, many organisations that, like I, I do a lot of work in professional services, in banks, insurance companies, healthcare, and it's happening in all industries, even charities, that, um, you know, people have to be able to adapt. And the best way to adapt is if you have mm. all the people around you to hold you up when you may be <laughs> not great. Yeah, I wonder. It's such a growing awareness, Graham. And I wonder what the greatest challenge is or what holds businesses back from truly embracing, you know, creating psychologically safe teams. Well, I think it's the old traditional thinking that, you know, the business is to get stuff done. <laughs> and yeah. uh, don't, don't, you know, worry about forming relationships, you just got to get stuff done and yeah. just, just perform. And, um, and, and, and to create psychological safety, this is the irony, it takes a bit of time. You know, people have to get to know each other better. They have to um, know a bit about each other. By doing that, it, it becomes the glue that holds everything together. It just means that a team is much more robust, much more self-sufficient when they do get to that stage. And so, yeah, the older style is, well, you know, let's just get on and manage this project and deliver on the deadlines. But what Google actually found, that is if you didn't have psychological safety, you couldn't have robust discussions about dependability. So if someone committed to deliver it on the Friday and they didn't, you know, how do you handle that? And if you don't have psychological safety, there's game playing, there's defensiveness and, and what have you. If you don't have psychological safety, you can't have robust talks about 
um, expectations. You know, we we have to deliver this milestone by this date. And a lot of people might say yes in the meeting, but get outside the meeting and say, oh, they're dreaming. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, psychological safety is about, it's not about everyone being nice to each other, but it's having strong interpersonal trust and respect so people can have authentic and honest conversations. It, yeah, it, almost, it raises that level of accountability because it's a safe and honest environment um, and, and authentic, as you say, Graham. I guess the, um, the CSIRO released their six megatrends report. And one of the six was the growing need of um, supporting mental health in the workplace. I haven't summarised that well, have I, Graham? Can you? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, so they, they identified, you know, the six trends for the next 20 years and one of them is rising work stress and mental health issues. Mm. And there's many causes for that, um, but I think the digital revolution is really contributing to that because oh, I do too. The speed, yeah. So there's much more in the way of um, you know gig economies. There's much more volatility. There's much more expectations that things are going to move really quickly. There's a real blurring between home life and work life. It's you know it overlaps all the time, and um, so they're, and they're contributing to it and. Um, and that's why we just can't do things the way we've always done them because um, it's not working. <laughs> it's not working. Yeah. And I, I guess from the learning hook perspective or my learning hat on, um, I just see a need for training support in this area across the board because of that change, you know, from the industrial revolution to call it a digital revolution the speed of change is increasing and even with thinking about things like agile ways of working can actually feel quite inhuman. I don't, I don't know. I, I might be a bit harsh about that or very transactional is a, is a better way to put it. It can be very transactional without a connection because project teams shift quite quickly. There could be remote elements in there, very strict and efficient around time, which is all good from a robe like from a project and a systems perspective, but it's not very human. And so getting to know one another as a team is, is becomes even more important where we break from, like you said, maybe it's tradition that's held people back. But there, there is a, I guess it's been identified by the CSIRO. Um, so it's something that, you know, I think boards need to start investing in. Yeah, very much so. And, um, you know, it's saying that, um, mental well-being is now coming under the safety remit. Well, quite frankly, yeah, our biggest threat in most workplaces now isn't a physical injury, it's a psychological injury. Mm. And um, these injuries are much more complex, they last longer, they're a lot more expensive. And because of the stigma, they're often hidden. You know, you often don't know the real reason. People try to hide it if they can. And, um, uh, and you know, PwC have done reports to show that it's the biggest contributor to lost productivity. Mm. And yet most organisations, if you ask them, and we've talked about this, mm. they don't know. They don't know the cost of absenteeism to their workplace. They don't know the cost of workers' comp. They don't know um, the cost of employee turnover. And these are all things that increase when the level of mental stress is high. Um, mm. And so when we're gonna, we are going to see change, I believe, when organisations start to measure these things and, and report on them. You know, we've recently had the Royal Commission where customer neglect was really highlighted. Well, you know, 
mental distress about employee neglect or not being proactive enough, not measuring it, not taking proactive strategies. And uh, I, I can really see the day where, you know, this, this will be on um, on board's agendas, on the, on the leadership team's agenda, because it is a critical component to organisations um, adapting quickly, innovating quickly, and um, and having that real growth mindset. And and it is it's it's almost living a credo, Graham. It, it'd be great if you could share more about what you've coined the uh, care crew credo, which uh, I love, and I know it's a part of what we're doing together on Factor C. Because I think almost what you're talking about is is the recognition of you know the the business requirements, the human requirements to start recognising mental health as a part of how we look after each other. And a part of that is actually signing up to a credo that we can all agree on. Yeah. Can you share more on the Care Crew credo, Graham? I mentioned before about having that exercise in workshops. And as I said, I do these workshops for government departments, for charities, for banks, for you know technology companies and what have you. And I ask them about their best team. They inevitably highlight a whole range of things around, you know, we, we supported each other, we had complementary strengths, common vision, common mission. And so I basically mean each time I do it in a workshop, I actually write down the words they use, and it's different words in each place. And, and then I take a photograph of it. And then what we, I guess, then decided was to say, okay, what does, you know, if, if a care crew is where we value self-care, and caring for others, what are the things we need to do each day to help facilitate that? And, you know, what that entailed was then writing down a whole bunch of things that I'd written down from these workshops, um, sharing it with you and others and reality testing it and, and, uh, and getting feedback. And then we actually then, I think, put together a very, a very cool poster called the Care Crew Credo, where it has a whole bunch of things that, um, you know, really relate to having that. And we could probably have a link in the, in the, in the show notes, but it is things mm. like, you know, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. If we lose, don't lose the lesson. Be open to change, but don't let go of your values. Progress is better than perfection. You know, all mm. things that people can either do or say to each other to really create a team or a crew that values self-care and caring for each other. That's brilliant, Graham. And I, we will um, we'll share that as a part of the show notes. I'm going to all of your contact details will be on our website and on the uh, podcast site. Um, and I'll, I'll get a link up there too for the um, the Care Crew Credo if for anybody to download if they'd like a copy of it. Would love to share it. Great. I guess I feel like we've we've covered a lot of ground, Graham. I've certainly picked up a lot and, and make all of these links between, you know, those sort of just the clarity of our messages and, and the start of how learning campaign starters from a great learning event to get people inspired. Um, and Are You OK certainly been one of those. Yeah, thanks for uh, taking the time to join us. Yeah, thanks, Brendan. It might be just worth briefly mentioning something else we're doing with Are You OK on, on May the 16th um, in Melbourne where... We're actually having a whole morning dedicated to sharing three case studies of organisations that have really strove to embed an AUOK culture. Mm. And you know, there's a retail business, there's a public sector organisation, and 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 a large retail, another large retailer, Woolworths, with a sharing about you know how you take it beyond a day, how you 
you know, really embed, embed this sort of care in the organisation and, you know, very different environments but just doing it in different ways. And um, we are also going to broadcast that whole morning via Facebook Live. And so if, there's, if you have listeners in other parts of the country that can't make it to Melbourne, for people to watch as well. So this is just how you take it beyond a single event and and really strive to change a culture. Just so on topic, we'll put all those details on the website as well. So easy to click some links and find out more. Um, love the fact it's streaming to Facebook Live. If you're at the event, I'll be attending too, as I know Graham's there, so it'd be great to catch up. Well, I look forward to uh, catching up with you, Graham, next time. Fantastic. Thanks, Brendan. And um, I just want to say it's been a, a pleasure working with you and, uh, you know, I've learned a lot from you and it's been a wonderful journey. Oh, no, absolutely. And, and much more to come, mate. Talk soon. Thanks again. All the best. 